What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm hanging out here in the Vivid Seats studio today, but back with me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And guys, uh, we apologize for not getting this show out to you yesterday. The problem was my voice was just absolutely 100% gone. Uh, I'm still fighting off that cold from last week. You still kind of hear a little bit of my voice. At least I, I hear it. I feel it. Uh, I really I feel fine, but I, I still feel like I sound worse than I feel from time to time. And uh, that combined with screaming my head off for nearly four hours Saturday night uh, kind of just ruined my voice. And Sunday, uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, trust me, it was actually unlistenable. I, I waited out as long as I could in the Sunday night. Didn't talk, didn't really talk to my wife on Sunday. Uh, I was trying to do sign language the best I can. And it's kind of difficult when you don't actually speak sign language. Uh, but did the best I could. Wrote out some notes, trying to save my voice as much as possible on Sunday. But man, it just... It just was not going to happen. And considering that I have to talk for a living and also wanting to be able to do the rest of our shows this week, I just decided to rest the vocal cords up on Sunday and then turn around and try to give it a shot today. So we really apologize for that because I know you guys are looking forward to getting our thoughts on the show and we really try to be as timely as we can with our content. But my voice just let me down. But anyway, this is our first official episode As part of the Overtime Media Network, we are extremely excited about this, and we are just so excited to be able to bring you guys all of our content for free once again. Not just one show a week or one show every week or two. Every single episode will be available for absolutely free to everyone out there. You don't have to hear me begging anyone for subscriptions or anything like that to help us stay afloat. We are so thankful for everyone who did subscribe because you guys are really what made it happen. So um, we're really excited about this. It's been a long year trying to stay afloat, make this happen. But man, we are extremely excited about the future. And just again, very, very appreciative of all of you who have supported us all the way through this process. And our partners at Overtime Media have also very graciously allowed us to continue to post our shows on SoundCloud and Podbean through the rest of this week to make sure we get the word out to everyone who might have missed the news last week. We know it's been kind of a quick turnaround, so we just we asked them if we could have just another week or so to make sure everyone gets the word, and they, again, very graciously uh, approved of that. So I uh, just want to make sure, though, that if either of those platforms, SoundCloud or Podbean, have kind of been your primary way to listen to the show over the past year or so, Please know that after this week, like for real after this week, our show will no longer be on SoundCloud or Podbean, uh, but there's still plenty of places, very easy places to find our show. If you are an Apple user, you know, iPhone, uh, iPad, anything like that, Apple Podcasts would be the easiest place to find them, which is iTunes, essentially. We know a lot of you already listen to us there. If you are a Droid user, though, an Android phone user, then, of course, you can find us on the Stitcher app, Google Play, Spotify, the TuneIn app, all of those things. You'll be able to find us there. And if you're just not exactly sure where to find us, if you have any issues, please do not hesitate at all. You can contact us on Twitter. That's at Glory underscore UGA. You can send us a DM, or you can email us at GloryUGA podcast at gmail.com and we'll be more than happy to help you guys in any way that we possibly can because we want to make sure that everyone has access to our show uh but anyway let's get into this man and and what a night it was what a weekend it was in athens georgia it started on friday night when all my normal haunts man they were far more crowded than they ever are even like the biggest of game days it was crazy uh and i ran 11 miles on saturday morning training for the athens half here uh, and I did that before the game, and then kind of toured the town that way, just kind of see what's going on, and it was insane very, very early. And then, of course, Sanford Stadium was absolutely a sight to behold on Saturday. And there, guys, there was a time, I think most of you would probably agree with me here, there was a time when Sanford Stadium was, I think it's safe to say, maybe a less than intimidating home environment. Not, not the worst home environment, but it certainly wasn't a major home field advantage there for a while. And that used to frustrate me to no end. I'd be screaming my head off every game. But uh, I don't necessarily know that that was kind of a universal thing in the stadium. But those days are over, definitively. They are over. The Kirby Smart era has awakened our program, re-energized our fan base, and has turned Sanford Stadium into an entirely different animal. That was by far the loudest, most insane home environment I have ever experienced. I mean, there's been a couple that were big and loud. You know, LSU and South Carolina back in 2013, like I remember those 
being really loud, really big environments. The Auburn blackout, no seven. The first blackout, that was crazy. Uh, LSU, no four going back then. You know, LSU was the defending national title, and we were dropping bombs on them. David Green with the fader outs all game long. Those are all great environments, but but not like this. And honestly, it was maybe, the, and I'm biased, sure, but I've been to a lot of stadiums in the SEC, and I... I've been to a lot of big games, and that's maybe the loudest regular season environment I have ever been in. I mean, I've been in a couple big ones. I mean, what was it, 2012 when we got blown out in Columbia, South Carolina, that night game, and that that was crazy. That was loud. Auburn in 2017, that game got blown out again. That was crazy and loud, but I would put this one right up there with all those games, maybe even louder, maybe the, the loudest regular season environment I've ever been in, and it definitely impacted the game. We all saw that. But in in reality, like this weekend in its entirety, man, it was just college football at its finest. The game itself was ended up being a great game, but for a lot of us, for most of us, I would say, it was far too close for comfort. I, I have officially no fingernails left after that last Notre Dame drive, and I did have to schedule an appointment with the cardiologist after the game, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, all right, Kurt, we have a ton to talk about today, so let's get to it, my man. And I want to start with with just your big picture takeaway from this game. It's a primetime game, all eyes on Athens, Georgia, top 10 matchup. We get a, get a win over a team that was a playoff team from last year and also the number, number seven ranked team in the land coming into this game. But after the game, at least in my conversations, look, I, didn't, I don't talk to everybody in the Bulldog Nation, but in the conversations I was having with people uh, in the stadium after the game and also just kind of in browsing social media today, there are some out there that don't feel really, I guess, all that great about this win. Kind of like, yeah, it's great to get the win, but man, I don't know how I feel about the rest of the season. So what's your big picture take on how this game played out, Kurt? Um, realistically, I, th- I keep it as simple as this. is: I think Notre Dame played their best game, or as good as they can play for the most part, and we played one of our worst games, and we still came out on top. Um, so I think that right there really shows that how good of a team that we can be once we get really going, um, to, to know that we won such a big game while not playing our best. Um, I mean, we were down two starting corners. Um, we had some injuries on the offensive line. And then even then, people got to remember, this is James Coley's first time really calling plays for this team um, in a big-time game. So I think they're still ha- we're still trying, especially, you know, trying to get more wide receivers working the system offensively. And I think we're trying to find what works and what doesn't work. So, I mean, it's not going to happen right away. It's going to take a while, especially offensively, to get things going. And defensively, outside of that drop punt, which put us in terrible field position, our defense – realistically only gave up one touchdown outside that yeah you're absolutely right and I, I I'm leaning that way too and don't get me wrong guys I I know there are some things that we have to work on I'm not going to try to sugarcoat that we'll get into that more as we get into the offense and the defense here and kind of breaking all that down there are certainly things that we must get better at if we really want to be a major contender the rest of the way but I really think there's maybe I mean there's more than two ways to look at it but basically what I'm hearing there's two ways people are generally looking at this you know, on one hand, some are saying like, you know, we were supposed to blow this team out. The, what the spread had ballooned to what fifteen and a half right before the game, something like that. Uh, so we're supposed to blow this team out. Uh, they got blown out by Clemson in the in the playoff last year. Uh, they got blown out by Bama in the title game in what two thousand twelve. Like it shouldn't have been this close at home in this environment. Somehow we almost got beat. We were lucky to get out of there with a win. And like we aren't as good as we think we are. We're overrated right now. And so that's that's one way to look at it. And like, and maybe there's some merit to that to a degree. I don't want to completely discount that, but that's just not how I see it. To me, I'm more in line with how you're looking at this, Curse. This was a gut check win, right? Yeah, and- I mean, realistically, we have a young team. I mean, we have some upperclassmen in positions, but for the overall, I still think we're a young team. And it came down to the fact that we got the win. Against a top 10 team. Let's not forget that, guys. This was a top 10 matchup, right? Am I wrong? I mean, it was a top 10, right? Yeah. And now we're crying about some people are crying about not beating a top 10 team as decisively as they would have liked to have beaten them. Uh, But I, and look, would it have been nice to beat them by three plus touchdowns? Of course, but it doesn't always work out that way. You don't always have your a game and the other team sometimes does come out with their a game. I think you, you were spot on by saying that Curly Notre Dame probably played about as well as they could in this game. And, And we didn't, we played well and we had some guys that played really well, but as a team, this was not our best effort, but, Despite that, we were still able to find a way to fight, scratch, claw, and get a win against a top 10 opponent in a prime time matchup. So, yeah, this was a gut check win for us. And the thing is, is like most championship contenders, 
they have them. They have them somewhere along the way in any given season. Go back. I know Oklahoma didn't win the title last year, but they were a Big, t- big 12 champion in the college football playoff. Remember the Army game last year, Kurt, in Norman? Double overtime win. They I mean, they Clemson almost lost, lost to Notre Dame last year. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Clemson almost lost to Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, Clemson lost. Clemson almost lost to Syracuse. Clemson almost almost lost to Texas A and M. Yeah, two. It wasn't Notre Dame. It was A and M and Syracuse. But they they almost lost those games, and they were dominant the rest of the games. But they had those gut check wins. I mean, we were watching that game, the Blind Pig against Syracuse last year. We thought that they were done. They somehow dug deep, gut check win, found a way to win it, and they got it done. Um, Bama a couple years ago uh, at Mississippi State. I don't know if you guys remember that one. That was Mississippi State. Was a pretty good football team. They weren't great. Um, Bama, uh, and it took a miracle for them to to win late. Maybe not a miracle, but they had to really dig deep to win at Mississippi State in, in a night game matchup. And uh, Bama was way better than Mississippi State. But in that one setting, Mississippi State played really, really well. And Bama had to dig deep. They didn't play their A game. But they, they got it done when they had to. So championship contenders, we're not the only one to have a game like this. And uh, and the thing is, like our gut check game was against an actual top 10 opponent. It wasn't, it wasn't against a Mississippi State. It wasn't against an Army or a Syracuse. So, I mean, I think when you put this in context, I don't feel as bad about it. Uh, I, I'll say in the moment, sitting there in the stadium, I was, I was getting frustrated. I was like, man, we are like we are better than this football team. We are better than how we're playing. But if you put it in context, look, we played a team that was – and you mentioned this, Kurt, last night. I think you texted me this. That was a – I mean, you could – now, they, they did have a game last week against New Mexico, but they had a bye week in week two, right? And were they preparing for New Mexico all week and week – during that bye week during week two? Absolutely not, and they were about as healthy as they can get outside the running back position. I mean, you get that tight end back, the guy was completely fresh. Oh, yeah, Cole Komet. With, I mean, and no one had been able to game plan for him. A hundred percent. Yeah, I got that in my notes here later on. We'll talk more about that, but you're exactly right. So we're playing a team that was, in some ways, you argue, coming off a bye, at least had an extra week to prepare for us than, than compared to what we had to prepare for them. And this was a Notre Dame team who came in here pissed off. They came in here feeling disrespected. They've, they had an entire offseason to kind of – just ruminate on the humiliation they suffered in the Coastal playoff last year. How everyone said, "Oh, it's just another example of how Notre Dame just overrated. They didn't deserve to be there last year. They had no business being in the Coastal playoff." Uh, George is going to run them out of the stadium in Athens. You have Paul Feinbaum saying last week that we're gonna, essentially going to murder them. They're going to blow them out. Um, and when I hear things like that, I kind of cringe. You know, I'm like, "Oh my God!" Now you just you're giving this team more motivation. We don't need that. So, yeah, they were pissed off. They felt disrespected. They were playing with house money, had absolutely nothing to lose. No one in America, outside of maybe the Notre Dame fan base, thought they even had a chance. Uh, and actually, this is a Notre Dame team I think is actually a lot better than people want to give them credit for. This is not the same old Notre Dame team from 2012. This is a much better team than they were in 2012 when Alabama blew their doors off. Um, so I, I think you got to factor that into the situation. And you also got to put it in context that we are still – ourselves very much a work in progress this is early in the season we're working in a completely new wide receiver core we were down two stars in the offensive line for at least um, half of that game uh, we had uh isaiah wilson come in in the second half and play but i mean i don't know if you guys really pay much attention to him he was hobbling around there so i mean i gotta give that guy some major props for just gritting it out man and just and getting the job done there but he was certainly not even close to 100 you could easily see that you mentioned we're down both starting cornerbacks and not only were we down both starting cornerbacks we're, we were we had to resort to playing Tyreek McGee at cornerback who isn't really a corner he's right he's a he's a star slash safety he just started repping there this week Curry told him at the beginning of the week that if there were some injuries that you would you would be playing cornerback because we were just so thin there right now with some injuries that we're dealing with and you have Eric Stokes go down on the first drive and there's Tyreek McGee who doesn't even really play corner playing corner against Chase Claypool who I think is a really really good wide receiver and a major matchup problem there so um, you got to factor all that in there and people want to compare our close win on Saturday with, with how Clemson blew Notre Dame out last year. A couple things on that. These are two different Notre Dame teams. Okay, Ian Book, yeah, he he started most of the year last year, but he was inserted in week four. He didn't have the entire offseason to make that his team, but he's been the established starter all offseason. This guy, I've watched all three games very closely now that he has played. I've watched all of them multiple times this year. He is night and day a different quarterback than when he was really almost any point last year. He was good last year. I think he's taking his game to another level this year. So um, you got to factor that in there. And Clemson was playing them last year in game 14 versus us playing them in game four this year. You think back to 2017 when we beat Notre Dame in week two. We were a far different and better team in game 14 against Oklahoma than we were against Notre Dame in week two. If we would have played that Notre Dame team in 2017 in week 14, we might have beaten them by two or three touchdowns. 
we just got better as the year went on. So it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison here. So again, I think this was a gut check win against a top 10 team that currently, do you disagree with me? I think that I I went back and looked at their schedule the rest of the way last night when, when I got back home. I think that Notre Dame team very easily could end up 11 and one. And I would say 10 and two at worst. What do you think? I think it's very fair. I mean, most of the teams left on their schedule aren't as strong as they have been in the previous past. Yeah, I mean, they got Virginia at home coming up this week. Virginia's a a pesky team. They're a good, solid football team. I think Notre Dame's better. Now, we'll see if Notre Dame has the hangover effect. Uh, Brian Kelly was talking after the game that will really define this team is how they respond next week. Um, So we'll see there. They get USC at home in a couple of weeks. USC, I mean, they're on third-string quarterback. He played really well against uh, Utah on, on Friday night, but maybe now teams have a chance to game plan for him. I mean, that's that's at Notre Dame. I like Notre Dame's chances there at Michigan. We That's going to be a really tough game. But we uh, – I mean, I don't know. How tough is that going to be? We watched Michigan just get dismantled by uh, by, by Wisconsin and look really bad against Army a couple of weeks ago. So that's looking like a more winnable game by the week for Notre Dame. So I think 11-1 is very realistic, and 10-2 probably for me is like worst-case scenario for them right now. Um, if you look at the, I mean, Stanford is terrible. Got to have to go to Stanford in the, the year, but Stanford is downright terrible this year. So I think, I think people who aren't feeling so great about this right now might feel a little bit better about this win at the end of the year. If when and if Notre Dame is like an 11 and one, 10 and two type team, uh, when it's all said and done. So yeah, absolutely. There are things to improve on. No doubt about that. We're going to get into all that here in a little bit, but I guess my big picture takeaway is yes, we, we didn't look fantastic for the entire game, but we did enough to win to get a winning against a top 10 team. And we still have all the pieces. I still believe, you know, we have a lot to improve on. We have all the pieces we need to be right there as a contender at the end of the season. We have an elite quarterback. We have what I think still, still thinks an elite offensive line. I think we have a top five caliber defense. We have the, we have a, a, a Heisman uh, potential running back in DeAndre Swift. We have all the pieces it takes to be a championship contender. Uh, we just got some things we've got to improve on, and that's where we're going to go next. So, Kurt, let's move this uh, conversation uh, to the to the offense. But before we do that, I do very quickly want to remind everyone out there that you can use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. Now, that is for first-time customers only. want to make sure you put that caveat out there. So if you're looking for tickets to the Tennessee game here in a couple of weeks, if you're still trying to find tickets for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, in early November, if you're trying to get tickets to go to the Auburn game late in the year, whatever game you're looking for, Vivid Seats has you 100% covered. And all you have to do is, again, use the promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. But all right, let's go ahead and move this conversation over to the offensive side of the football. Uh, and this was, a, it was a, let's be real, man, it was a struggle last night. I, I, I don't really want to put any sugar coating on this at all. I don't put any lipstick on this pig. It was a struggle for most of the game. We did do some good things. There were some players who performed really well. But at the end of the day, we only managed to put up 339 total yards of offense after averaging 566 yards a game coming in, obviously against inferior competition. But still, um, we had under 60 yards passing in the first half. Not a ton going on the ground the first half. We had some moments, but not a lot going on. Uh, We put up 16, but we did put up 16 points the second half. But the 339, I went back and looked this up. The 339 yards of total offense that we put up in this game, that's our lowest total yardage output in a game that we ended up winning since the game in South Bend in 2017. We only managed 326 yards total offense in that victory. So um, it was a tough night for the offense, but we were able to do enough to get it done. Kurt, what do you make of the overall performance of this offense on Saturday? Um, realistically, they gutted it out. You know, they didn't play well the entire game, but when we, they need, when they had to make the plays, they made them. Um, you know, Lawrence Cager made some huge catches for us. Jake had some big throws. Um, and I think the biggest thing is that while I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I still think we're trying to figure out ourselves under James Coley. And I think the more, you know, realistically, you, I think you made a good point on about this, our lowest output since our win last time in South Bend. In some of these big heavyweight matchups, you're not going to go out there and throw up big, you know, big numbers offensively. It's going to come down to can you make the plays when they matter the most? Can you do what it takes to win? Um, kind of like the, how Kirby said, it takes what it takes. I mean, it came down to it. We did what we had to do to win. Um, we didn't show out, do well the whole game, but when it mattered the most, our guys went out there and made plays. And I want to, I, I know no one wants to give Notre Dame credit because everyone hates Notre Dame. And, we, and no one ever wants to act like they're any good. And they have, they have laid eggs in big moments in the past. But And you can certainly disagree with me, Kurt. Feel free. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
I want to give credit to this Notre Dame defense. That's a pretty damn good defense. Don't you think so? I have to agree. I mean, realistically, they if you watched it from the stadium, you could see there were creases open if you got past the first level, but their guys did a great job of making tackles. They didn't miss any tackles, and that's what really stopped us from breaking the long runs because if they missed one tackle, our guys were gone, but they did a good job of keeping the ball in front of you know, the, the carriers in front of them. They put a tackling clinic on. They really did. I mean, they that's one thing that we that we feast on is broken tackles and we hit big plays off that. But these guys, I mean, they they were getting our they were getting our guys on the ground in in space. Uh they were doing an outstanding job there. They they have a lot more speed than they the Notre Dame defenses have typically had in the past five, six, seven years. This is a team, this is a Notre Dame defense that has they have playmakers at all at all levels. Uh, we talked about coming in the game that inside linebacker was somewhat of an issue. And I, I still think that, that if, that's, if there's a weakness on that Notre Dame defense, that was one that we could have exploited. But I don't think we did a good enough job trying to exploit a guy like Drew White there, number 40. Uh, but Owusu, uh, kind of the hybrid guy, the uh, kind of inside linebacker, star, kind of hybrid player for them, kind of a rover. Um, he, that dude is a playmaker. He is very, very good. Uh, Lohi Gilman, the safeties, they are good. Troy Pride Jr. is maybe not an elite corner, but he's a good cornerback. We know the kind of pass rushers they have. And they are kind of they were undersized on the defensive front, but they they did what I feared they might do. They tried to penetrate and create some disruption in the backfield. Uh, and they did go with some issues with that at times. But that's a good defense. Maybe not like a top five caliber defense. Maybe not even top ten. But that that's a top 15, top 20 caliber defense. And uh, so I, I think you have to give them a little bit of credit there. And they came out ready to play. They were, again, you could tell they were prepared, especially when we try to run those jet sweep stuff, all that stuff. They, I mean, they were like missiles, just shooting straight at our guys. They had no hesitation. They knew exactly what we were doing. And that goes back again to saying, like, I just think, you know, that week two, that sure, they did some prep from New Mexico, but there's a lot of getting ready for Georgia in that week two by week. And you could certainly see that. So um, good defense. I thought they played well. But a lot of things that we did were self-inflicted. Uh, we didn't make some – there were some plays we made out there, especially the wide receiver positions from those 50-50 balls that we didn't come down with, whether it was Tyler Simmons, George Pickens a time or two, D-Rob, there was one that he didn't come down with. We got, When Fromm puts a ball in the money like that on the, in a 50-50 situation, like, and I thought get Gary – and I, Gary, Gary Danielson is not my favorite guy. He's not. I don't love the guy. But he did make a good point when I was going back and watching the replay today, kind of break this down. In, in college football now, the way the rules are written um, – to favor offenses, I don't even know if they're really 50-50 balls anymore, right? I mean, it's more like 70-30 balls. Like, we've got to win more of those. Uh, we've got to, I mean, Cager did a really good job of that, and, and we've seen Pickens do a good job of that to this point, but we've got to do a better job of that in big-time situations. But I want to ask you, so we did have some issues. Um, what was the biggest issue for our offense last night? Was it the fact that Notre Dame's defense is just better than people think, or was it more about what we were doing or not doing? I think it's what we did. Realistically, I think one of our biggest problems was penalties. They killed us on quite a few drives. You know, we're, we had that second and two on their side of the ball. Justin Schaefer gets that dumb um, dead ball, oh. personal foul uh, penalty. Oh, um, can't do Paul it. Finley had that holding penalty on the second one or second and two. Um, we were just committing some stupid penalties that honestly actually killed our drives. And I think that's one thing that hurt us really bad because that would get us in bad um, long down situations and that would make us not – car the best i think it kind of took us out of our game plan and in doing so it kind of stalled out our offense and made it not look as good you mentioned james coley and how we still have to kind of understand that he's still very new as a play caller for our for our system uh, he's called plays before at miami but that was a couple years ago um it's still i guess it's only his fourth year actually calling plays i think it was three years in miami that he called plays how did you feel about the scheme that we had coming into this game, our game plan? Did you feel comfortable with it, or would you have done things differently? I mean, I was comfortable with it, but I think sometimes we got we tried to outsmart, or you know, he tried to outsmart them too much instead of potentially sticking with something like in that final drive where you try to go with James Cook around the edge. Uh, sometimes, you know, I think that there were plays we made there. I mean, and sometimes you can call the perfect plays, and the plays just aren't made. Uh, but I also wanted like to we got really conservative on like that we final said, drive. What you feel like we got really conservative there on that final? Well, not, I guess the final drive, but the one where so Notre Dame brings it 23 17, we get the ball back because I there are a lot of people in the stands there screaming about how conservative we were being. I saw a lot of that again today throughout the day, just looking around, talking to people. Do you feel like we got too conservative there when we were up 23 17? I mean, we're not going to come out there throwing the ball. If you thought we were to come out throwing the ball, then you have no idea. I mean, I don't think any team in football would come out throwing the ball in three, all three depth down. Especially they only have one timeout left. 
Yeah, I mean that. I mean, I don't. Maybe you want them to do that, but I don't think there's a single. I've never watched football and someone throw on all, all three downs with one team having one timeout, and you're trying to bleed them out, knowing you have a big offensive line. Yeah, that, that's a very fair way to look at it. Uh, schematically, I mean, I'll, let me ask you this though. I felt like in the first half, I don't want to. It's hard to call this a scheme issue necessarily because we're very much run the same scheme that we've run for a couple of years now. And for the past two years, you know, 2017, 2018, we've been top team in yards, uh, top 10 in yards per play. Like we have, we have not been um, uh, maybe a sexy offense. I love that, you know, the teams that spread out and do all that and throw the ball over the yard like LSU is doing now. And I know some people want us to do that, but we have been as efficient, as effective as, as, as almost any offense in America over the past couple of years. Uh, and we're still running very much the same scheme. To me right now, I think the issue in this game, especially in the first half, was more of a trust issue uh, and not a Jake Fromm trust issue. I think right now like, – and tell me if you disagree. Did you feel like in the first half that we were hesitant to open up and let Jake just throw the football and try to make plays in the passing game? Yeah, I think we're still trying to – that's why I mentioned earlier that, you know, we still don't know what we have in the wide receiver core. And one thing that also hurt us is, you know, some of those plays where we try to get the ball in our hands of our playmakers like we have earlier in the season, our guys were not making blocks. On the edge? Especially from the tight the tight ends on the edge. Uh, Wolf missed one. Eli Wolf missed a couple almost. out in space. Where he was like, if he gets that block, we have a big play. Uh, there was at least Charlie two Charlie Warner did the same thing. There were multiple times where – the weeks before they were turning to big plays because our playmakers were able to get to the edge and do things. Cause, but this time they're missing the blocks. So, I mean, sometimes we have to take that into account also. Yeah. That, that, and that's very fair. I, I just feel like in the first half, I mean, yeah, Fromm was what 10 of 11 in the first half, 11 of 12. I mean, it was one incompletion. It was 10 of 11, 10 of 11, 11 of 12, whatever it was on, under 60 yards passing, which is very un Jake from like very un Georgia, like, because we might not throw the ball a ton, but we, when we do, we take shots down the field and from has a very, typically a very high yards per attempt average. Um, but that was obviously not the case in the first half. And part of me, and look, we don't exactly know with, with the way we structure offense now with setting in like a, a palette of, of calls for Jake to choose from. We don't exactly know what play was called by Coley and what Fromm had to check into based on the looks that Evans gave us. So it's really hard to know for sure in this day and age of offensive football. But I just, you know, in the first half, for whatever reason, whatever ended up being the play call we were not taking a ton of shots downfield and I feel like it's almost like we were hesitant to open it up some and I think that has to do with just a lack of trust in the wide receiving group right now um and it, it's not that we don't have talent because I we don't we obviously we know that this was a big talking point throughout the offseason that our wide receivers oh my god we lost our top five receivers from last year we have nobody what are we going to do and I kept saying all offseasons like I feel good about the talent level there I mean I, I feel good about a guy like Matt Landers. He still hasn't done much, but I think the talent is there. We all have seen George Pickens, but he's still very young. Uh, we've seen Don Blaylock. We've seen Demetrius Robertson. We've seen now Lawrence Cager has, has, has had, had a really good game, obviously. We'll talk about him more in, here in a minute. But is it fair to say, Kurt, that right now our offensive staff just still doesn't completely trust our wide receiving group to go out there and make plays consistently? I think 100%. I mean, like I said, one of the biggest things that makes someone so good is you know, the connection you have between the quarterbacks and receivers. And I think that Cager and Fromm right now probably have the best connection because they're looking the best on the back short throws. But outside of that, I don't think Jake, I mean, maybe not Jake, but in general, they're just not 100% confident with the players. In the and, and, there, and it's fair to say that Jake doesn't have the rapport with those guys yet. How could he, right? He's only had yeah. it for a couple of months. Nice thing, you know, you got to think about the last couple of years, we've had a lot, we had experienced receivers in Terry Godwin, me, Cole, um, Ridley, people like that who have been on the team for a while. and done Who Jake been throwing to for years, not months. Yeah, I mean, Jake's freshman year, he had Javon Williams, who was an upperclassman at the time. Um, we don't really have that as much outside of Cager. Or, I mean, you have it in Simmons, but Simmons, to me, is probably the, one of the most not sure-handed receivers that we have. What I would say about Tyler Simmons, I love what he brings to the table. He's a senior leader. I'm not trying – I am not trying to denigrate this guy. I do not want to bring him down. I just – I don't – I don't feel like he needs to be out there on third law situations. What does he bring? I'll just say, I'm not confident when the ball's in the air going towards him. Like never that, have, that, play, that, I mean, I think, and from, I thought, we'll get to from in a minute. I thought he played outstanding. I thought the best throw he made, uh, maybe the entire year to, to this point in the season, was when he was rolling out, what about the 30 yard line? He's rolling out to his right on the run, flips the ball 30 yards, and you're like, whoa, I didn't know he had that kind of arm. And it hits, uh, he hits um, Simmons in the back of the end zone in stride, right? In his hands. And Simmons doesn't come up the play, right? 
And that's a touchdown. Yeah. And I, I know that's a tough play to make. Don't get me wrong. That's a, that's a tough play. It's one of those 50-50 balls. That's what you want to call them. But you've got to make those plays. And Tyler Simmons just doesn't have the size in those situations to make those plays. He's really – on standard downs, first, second down, he's really valuable for us in, in his blocking on the perimeter and his senior leadership. But when it's an obvious passing situation, I feel like we have better options, don't we? Yeah. I just feel like we do. Uh, I just do. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a trust issue right now. But the, the thing with me is I think, again, going back to what I was saying, I think we have we have play, potential playmakers at wide receiver. We have the talent there. But in the only way that they're going to get to where we need them to be for us to be a championship team down the road, because it's still early in the season. We're, we, just, we need to keep improving. This is one area we have to improve. We got to be. We have to find more trust and more consistency in the passing game. We've got to get there. Uh, and we weren't there, you know, in 2017 or in the year either. We got better as the year went on. But we've got to figure out a way to 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 get more consistent and more explosive in the passing game. And the only way that happens is to give these guys give these guys opportunities and games to grow. And we saw that in the last two weeks, right against Murray State and Arkansas State, because you can get away with it there. They can they can go out there and get some um, and get some opportunities and make some plays and make some mistakes. But I think in this game, in this big time setting, it's this Notre Dame opponent, top ten opponent. I just felt like our coaches. Uh, kind of clamped up, like you know what? This isn't the game for us to try to get them some looks. This isn't the game for them to try to like grow into it. This is a game where we need to just rely on what we know we feel good about, and that's our offensive line, our running game, and Jake Fromm getting us on the right plays. So we'll have other games down the road where we can work those guys in and then give them opportunities, and they can grow and make mistakes and get better and all that. But this is not the game. Did you get, kind of get that feeling? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt there. But all right, let's keep moving on here. All right, so Jay Fromm, we'll talk about him for a minute here. His numbers did not jump off the page at the end of the night. 20 to 26, very efficient, 77% completion percentage, 187 yards, one touchdown. So numbers like that, they don't jump off the page. But Kurt, and I know I'm the president of the Jay Fromm fan club, so everybody can just tune me out if you want to. That's fine. So I'm going to put this to you. What did you make of Jay Fromm's performance on Saturday night? Um, I mean, I thought he did what he's always done. I mean, he, you know, you said he didn't put up the most flashiest numbers, but he made plays when he had to. He got us in the right formation, things like that, and he gave us a chance to win. I thought he was unbelievable. I, I really did, man, and that's fine. You can, you can call me a homer. I, but I mean, think about the six incompletions. How many of those were misplaced balls? There's None. one where he got hit and the ball is getting hit. That's one incompletion. The other incompletions were essentially 50-50 balls that he put on the money the guys just didn't come up with, right? Yeah, I mean, this guy was in complete control of this game, 100%. And I'll say this, do not blitz Jake Fromm. If, if you're a demons coordinator, what do you think? Because if you don't get to him, now if you get to him, our offensive lines has, has had some issues with that at times, then that's one thing. But if you do not get to him, like on that touchdown pass to Cager, they brought six. They brought the house, okay? Uh, and it actually might have been seven. It was at least six. But if you don't get to him like they did on that play, because if you blitz him, he knows where to go. It doesn't mean the ball is always going to be complete. He's got to go out there and make a play in man-on-man coverage, and we got to protect him. But if you blitz him, he knows exactly where to go to the football, and he will burn you. He will not be intimidated. We saw it all last year against Florida. I mean, that's what destroyed Florida, because what does Todd Grantham do? He just he just brings the house after everybody. That's just what he does. He's aggressive. And Fromm was like, all right, bring it, dude, and just, and just lit them up play after play. So just – don't just don't blitz him. But I thought he was completely in control. He put the ball in the money all game long. Um, you just certainly tell he's still trying to get a rapport with some of these receivers, and they got to help him a little bit more. Some of these 50-50 balls, but um, and I and some of the throws he was making, the tight windows. I was really impressed with his ability to, to kind of make plays on the on the on the move. Like I said, that throw to Simmons in the back of the end zone is maybe the best I've ever seen Jay Fromm make. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, because you wouldn't think that Fromm, a guy like Fromm would do that. And then, you know, uh, pull, you know, pulling the ball, and then that third, it ended up being short, but on that third down, takes two hits, puts his shoulder down, doesn't slide, try, goes for that first down, man. Just a gritty, gritty performance, and just a, a great, uh, just a great performance by, by one of our, our team leaders. Don't win that game without Jay Fromm. There's no doubt. Um, all right, let's go to the offensive line real quick. Is our offensive line, Curtis? So we had 152 yards rushing. Only 4.6 yards in attempt after averaging 287 yards a game for the first three, 7.6 yards per attempt. We uh, averaged 50 pounds more along our offensive line than the Notre Dame defensive line, but only 152 yards rushing. Is our offensive line as good as we think it is? Um, I mean, you also got to take into account the injuries, but I mean, I think they are good, but it doesn't matter how good you are. If you got eight guys in the box and we only have six linemen or five yeah. offensive linemen, there's only so much they can do. Too many free runners, man. This is what goes to scheme for me. This is what, in the first half, it was killing me. Because, like, we always hear about, like, they got plus one in the box, right? It's a plus one scenario. I talk about this a lot. And it's hard It's hard to win that. The defense, if the defense outnumbers you, it's tough. But we see those kind of boxes all the time. And we still have success against it. 
But against Notre Dame, what they were doing, they weren't always stacking the box at this uh, pre-snap, but at the snap, those safeties, Alohi Gilman, Jalen Elliott, they were flying downhill. So when the ball was snapped, they're in the box. And so there were many situations in that game, especially in the first half, where not only were we, was it a plus one scenario for Notre Dame, but we were outnumbered at the snap sometimes by two defenders. And you simply are not going to win those situations. I don't care how good your offensive line is and how much bigger they are. If you have guys that are unblocked and are free runners, they're going to make plays. And that's what was happening. The guys are making play. Our line was getting movement. If you go back and watch it, our guys are moving the defensive line of Notre Dame. But when there's no one left to block a couple of defenders, they're going to come in there unimpeded and make plays. And that's what was happening. So that was one of the issues I had schematically because that what you have to do in those situations is make them pay. And we were not trying to make them pay uh, early on enough. We're not taking those shots in the first half. We were dinking and dunking a little too much. In the second half, we decided, you know what, you're going to bring that where we're going to make you pay. And we did. And we also opened up a little more running room late in that game. We tried to spread things out. And I like, I actually like when we run the ball for more spread looks because it gets, it frees the box up. And so you've got, you know, our, our linemen uh, at most are going to be outnumbered by one there, if that. And if you get, if you give them an, uh, just even an uh, even box, they're going to win that 90 plus percent of the time. And that's when we started to have some bigger plays in the second half. DeAndre said, did not break the the big play we're used to seeing him break, but I thought he had a really good game as well. But uh, I thought the offensive line played pretty well. Think about the the pass rush. Think about the way we we're talking about this Notre Dame defense coming to the game. What was it that we were always talking about with this Notre Dame defense? What we had to watch for? How good their pass rush was. Right. How many sacks did they have last night? Zero, I want to say. Zero sacks. Zero official hurries. Uh, not to say they didn't affect the quarterback at all, but zero official hurries on the official stat sheet. And that was with two two starting offensive linemen out for at least the first half. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we said, uh, we had, um, Isaiah come back in, in the second half, but he was certainly not a hundred percent out there at right tackle. Um, so, and that was one of the issues that we had seen coming in. And that's one of the matchups we spotlighted that potentially favored Notre Dame and our guys absolutely held their own there. So I look, this Notre Dame team, they were coming to make, they were coming out to make a point. And they played it as well as they possibly could. We didn't do things schematically to help our offensive line. I still believe in this offensive line. I still say it's an elite offensive line. I'm not one of those people that's, you know, screwing bloody murder right now saying that, that we're not as good as we think we are. I still think we're very, very good up front. Uh, we talked about Lawrence Cager uh, for, for a little bit there, Curtis. Uh, five catches, 80 yards, one touchdown, 16.4 yards to catch. Was this his coming out party where, like, maybe now he becomes our number one option moving forward? It seems like each week we're talking about a different guy, whether, you know, week one after Vanderbilt was like, oh, maybe it's D-Rob's going to be our number one guy. Then it was, oh, maybe it's George Pickens, and now Pickens didn't have a catch, and now is, is it Cager? So is it Cager? Like, do, do we just I not think have Cager's been getting team? more and more comfortable in the system, and I saw, I think I saw a, a light kind of flick last week when he caught that first touchdown pass. You, I think if ever since then he, he's just been different. Yeah. I mean, and this is a guy that we talked about in the offseason. Like you and I, you and I actually spotlighted him as a guy that could potentially be our number one guy, at least in the early part of the season. And maybe it's going to start to play out that way because he's a guy, he's a veteran. Um, he he has some experience with James Coy back at Miami, big physical body. We talked about how he was the guy like Ridley was a really good player for us, but we just needed a guy to come in there and, and win those 50-50 balls, the back shoulder throws that Fromm has made a living off of a lot of times the past couple of years. Uh, you know, whether it was Javon Wims a couple of years ago, Ridley there last year, um, uh, we also had um, JJ Holloman in that role. Uh, so Cager, we, we, you and I thought like he could, like at the very least, could do that, right? Like he can do that. Maybe not an elite receiver, but he can certainly do that. And he showed that. There's no doubt on Saturday night. So um, it, was, it was nice to have at least one guy start to make some of those 50-50 plays. We got to have more people doing that. Uh, and I'm not ready to say he's going to be our number one option the rest of the way. But you're right. I think he's starting to emerge, and I'm not going to say it's impossible for him to be that guy. I still believe in George Pickens. Um, and he's still growing. But right now, Cager is certainly a very reliable target for us out there, and I think he's going to continue to make plays for us. Um, last time about the offense, we're moving to the defense, Kurt. How concerned – are you concerned about this offense moving forward? Are you? Because no, a lot of people are. I mean, I'm not. They can be all they want. But, I mean, especially early, this early in the season, you're not going to be clicking at all at the best. I mean, we – this time last year, were we clicking? No. I remember the LSU Especially game? against a top 10 team. I mean, come on. Oh, but Kurt, it was at home. You know, you're supposed to blow at everyone that you play at home. I mean, you um, know, every fan base has unrealistic fans. But, hey, yeah. you got you to gotta try to balance your expectations with what's realistic. And I do think part of it was the expectations. The Everyone in the media picking us and everyone talking about how we're going to blow them out. And that just kind of bled over into our fan base. And so sometimes we can't enjoy a good thing. Um, but, hey, this is a big win. Uh, and I will say we have to find a way to get the passing game going more. Jake Fromm is, is incredible. 
We've got to unleash him. I, I believe, I firmly believe that Jake Fromm could do what Joe Burrow is doing in that LSU offense if we let him do it. Now, we're not going to run that kind of offense. That's just not what we're going to do. But we need to unleash him more. I know he's not going to put up the numbers in our offense that quarterbacks and other offenses, like in Oklahoma's offense, or now in the LSU offense, or in the Clemson offense, the BAM offense. He's not going to put up those numbers. But I think there's a very strong argument to be made that in terms of what he's asked to do, that Jake Fromm is the best quarterback in America. And again, I know I'm the president of the Jake Fromm fan club, and a lot of you just kind of roll your eyes when I start talking positively about him. But I, I just really don't think that a lot of people in our fan base appreciate Jake enough. If he's not the best quarterback in America, he's certainly in the top two or three. There's no doubt in my mind. And when you have a quarterback like that, this type of guy that can do the things that he can do, a third-year starter quarterback, that is as good as Jake Fromm is and is as in control of things as he is, we would be foolish to not let this guy just go out and play football and do what he does best. Yes, we're going to run the football. Of course, we have great running backs. Yes, we have an incredible offensive line. But we also have a first-class quarterback, and we've got to allow him to do things more in this offense. I know that we don't trust the receivers right now. I know that it's still a work in progress there. I know that we're still trying to work out a rapport between them and Jake. But we've got to let those guys grow. And the only way they're going to grow is if they go out there and they're given opportunities to make plays. So I, I think we've got to go with that. Of course, we're still run the football again. But uh, right now, we're not going to be the team that we can be if we do not open up the passing game and become more effective and more dangerous uh, vertically down the field. We're just not going to be. And I think we have the players to do it. We've just got to have the will to do it. All right, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. Defensively, we were able to hold Notre Dame to uh, 321 total yards and 46 yards rushing. Ian Book did throw for 275, but that was on 47 attempts. We held him to 50, 55% completion and only 5.9 yards an attempt. Kurt, how do you feel about our defense after Saturday's performance? Um, I still feel good. Like I said, outside that muff punt, our defense held him to one touchdown, tr- truly. Um, and that was down two cornerbacks, and it kind of took away our aggressiveness and trying to bring the blitz and everything because uh, Kirby didn't have as much trust in the man-to-man. And yet I still felt like we went out there and made plays. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, look, this is a this is a good Notre Dame offense. Uh, maybe not an elite offense, but they they have some talented playmakers. They really do. I mean, I, I will stick by it. Chase Claypool is legit. We saw what Cole Komet's able to do. And let's talk about him for a second. They had a lot of success going to Cole Komet in the first half. Seven catches for 69 yards. And they had that touchdown, the one-handed, one-handed grab there. But we were able to limit him to just two catches in the second half. Why were they able to have such success using him in the first half? And then what maybe changed in the second half? Um, The matchups in the first half, he was just mainly on the linebacker. In the second half, we at least put a safety over the top to kind of help. That's exactly what happened. They were targeting our linebackers. That was one thing I was concerned about coming in. Uh, I think our linebackers are, we, I've talked about it, vastly improved from where we were last year at the inside linebacker position. But Monty Rice, as good as he is, well as he has played, and he has played really, really well. And Tay Crowder is vastly improved. And maybe not as much Tay, but Monty is still a liability in pass coverage. He is. And so they 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 targeted that with a guy like Cole Komet. Um, and what we were doing early on, it seemed like we were trying to protect, you mentioned the cornerbacks against Chase Claypool. Like we were giving the cornerbacks help over the top. When you have, especially when you have Eric Sos go out on the, on the first drive, well, Tyreek McGee doesn't really play corner. Was over there playing corner. You got DJ Daniel over there playing the opposite corner. So two stars down, and we're trying to protect them over the top there on the outside. So that left the linebackers and the stars one on one against Cole Komet. And and we also had no idea he would be such a weapon. This guy had 176 career receiving yards through two years coming into the Saturday's game. He didn't play at all in the first two games of the year for them. Uh, so we had like we had no idea that they were gonna kind of feature him like they did in that first half. I'll give Kirby credit. I hear a lot of people talk about how Kirby's not a good in-game coach. I don't know what you're talking about. We absolutely adjusted in the second half and took him away because what we did is, you're right, we put J.R. Reed, uh, put his safety over the top, gave, moved the safety up away from the wide receivers and put him over Cole Komet. And they really didn't make us pay for that and go after the the corners until that drive that brought them, after we went up 23-10, uh, they started going after uh, Tyreek McGee over there and Chase Claypool just ate him up there in that in the Ended up scoring that touchdown, cut it to 23-17. But we were able to take away Cole in the second half because we just gave him more attention because we were just we knew what they were trying to do, matching up on the linebackers there. But uh, yeah, so I thought it was a great adjustment. And we also, like Kurt, we've talked a lot about havoc this season, a lot about that. So through three games last year, we had one sack and 11 tackles for loss. We talked about this last week. Through three games this year, we had 12 sacks and 21 tackles for loss. But last night, we were not able to sack Book once and actually did not even register an official quarterback hurry. Should we be concerned that those previous Havoc numbers that I just went over were just a result of playing inferior competition, that maybe we really haven't improved all that much in this area? 
No, I already just mentioned that we were down two corners and we didn't feel comfortable in the man-to-man right away to open up as more blitzing as we used to. Then at the same time, you also got to realize what type of quarterback Book is. He's a little bit more mobile. He's not a straight dual threat, but he's mobile enough that he can get out of the pocket and extend some drives like he it did. He's very, the- very slippery, hard to bring down. Exactly, and when you have when you go against someone like that, the last thing you want to do is blitz them and not get to them because then they're able to go out and uh hurt you with their legs so we had to do more of a little bit of a mush rush at times with our spies absolutely we were not coming like, we were not pressuring him uh with with our blitz packages as much as we had the the past couple games we brought some corner pressure from the boundary at times and then when we got in the third down situation we would come after him at times but like i think you're right i don't think we were as aggressive coming out the quarterback and we talked about it i talked about it in the preview show i didn't think coming out after him like that was the best way to handle him because that creates natural rush lanes that he could take off and make you pay, especially in those third-down situations. And I think Kirby felt in a, I felt in a similar way about that because we did, we were not as aggressive. Uh, but I, I still think we found ways to affect him. Even though we didn't get him on the ground, we still affected him. Think that last play, that fourth-down play, uh, Nolan Smith and Jermaine Johnson were chasing him around. And, he, and Nolan had him. And he just, you know, he spun around. He's slippery, hard to get down. Uh, so we were able to affect him even though we might have actually gotten him on the ground. Uh, which is what Kirby talks about all the time. It's true. The sacks are great, but you just need to affect the quarterback. I do think we affected him at times. Uh, maybe hurt him up a little bit, even though we didn't necessarily register an official quarterback Curry. But uh, I would also give Notre Dame some credit with their offensive game plan. You could t- clearly tell, especially in that first half, they came out with the game plan to get the ball out of Book's hands as quickly as possible. They've seen what we've done through the first three games. They And we talked about this in the preview show. They knew how much havoc was a focal point for us coming into this season, what we've been trying to do throughout the first three games of the year. And their game plan very obviously was to get the ball out of Book's hands quickly. They didn't take many vertical shots down the field, especially in the first half. It was really late in the second half after we went up by two scores and we were kind of doubling Komet to take him away. They took some shots down the field there to chase Claypool when you had Tyreek McGee mashed up on him. So I think that was part of it as well. It, sometimes if, if a team comes out and their game plan is to get the ball that quarterback's hands, you're just not going to be able to get to him. And this team runs a lot of RPOs, and RPOs a lot of times are designed to take pass rush out of the equation because it is a quick one-read type situation. The ball is out of the quarterback's hands. So I think you got to give them some credit there too. You still feel good about this defense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, that again, I think this is a good Notre Dame offense. Held him to 320-ish yards total offense. I think we still have a top five caliber defense on our hands. But uh, real quick before we get out of here, uh, we got to talk about special teams. Cannot ignore this. We did some really good things and then some very concerning things. Kurt, it was a bad night for Jake Kamara. still a young guy. Do you still have faith in him to be the guy for us in that position? Highly recruited guy coming out of high school at Norcross. Um, he's been up and down at times. Do you still believe in him? I mean, I do. I think he can do it. Uh, the last point, uh, the one thing I really noticed was that he uh his timing got messed up. I don't know what it was, but he took a step that got out of his out, him out of his rhythm. But he's got to be more consistent, especially in big time games. We can't afford that. Yeah, and the last punt that was oh was rough, man. It was just bad timing. It looked like he almost missed the punt entirely. He almost just whiffed. It was like oh god, uh, it was a bad night. For I still believe in this guy. I've seen this guy punt the hell out of the ball. Uh, I, I've seen the hang time. I've seen the distance. He's just got to do more consistent in game settings. It was a, he's still a young guy. It was a big time moment, um, but he's got to, he's got to be better. I'll say that there's no doubt he's got to be better, uh, but I, I'm not freaking out about him yet. Um, then of course, Tyler Simmons had the very unfortunate muff punt that really hurt us in the first half, gave him an easy touchdown there. Uh, we saw Dominic Blaylock the rest of the way back there and he missed like, there's like one that, that he should have fielded about, at about the 30 yard line and just let it go and let it roll and turn into a lot, much bigger punt than it should have been flip field position there. Moving forward, who do you go with back there? I feel like I have more comfortable Blaylock there. I mean, like I mentioned before, I've never been comfortable when I know Tyler Simmons is going to – at the when the ball's in the air and it's going towards him. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And like he had some good returns in the Vanderbilt game, but I just don't see him as a true punt returner. I know he's got a great speed, but he doesn't have that wiggle. Uh, he doesn't have that elusiveness that a guy like Blaylock has. Even a guy like James Cook. I'm surprised that we don't give James Cook more respect. I think he'd be a better punt returner, at least just in his in his profile. But uh, Blaylock, but I, I hear you with Blaylock, and I think I agree with you and let him grow there. But, man, like he's a true freshman. That's tough. Um, I don't know. Yeah, we, Tyler we Simmons is a senior Andrew. and still makes mistakes. Yeah, you're right. He almost – he bobbled that first punt. Uh, and it looked like it was also Matt Landers on both of us. It kind of got his vision there. So maybe you got to give him a little bit of a break there. But still, you got to make that play. You got to catch the ball. You got to. Uh, and then Rodrigo Blankenship, Curtis, how valuable is this guy for us? Uh, I mean, it's very, very important. 
What do you make of Kirby's decision to kick that field goal up to go up 23-10 with 6.54 remaining? Did you did you I agree with that last, I think I think last year really weighed on him where we struggled. Well, I don't think he makes that decision if it's not Rodrigo Blankenship. If he doesn't like 100% trust that he has a kicker that's going to make that field goal to put us up in a situation where now Notre Dame has to score two touchdowns to beat us, then he doesn't make that decision, right? Yeah. I think Rodrigo made that decision a lot easier. And actually, I know, and, and I was a little frustrated at the time. Like, but I, look, we've had our issues in short yardage. We have, we, we know that. And also, uh, that ended up being the right decision because if we, let's say we we don't get anything there and it's still only 2010, Notre Dame's able to tie that game on that final drive, right? And we're going to overtime. So, you, you know, in the, in the moment, you can say that he wussed out or whatever. And he's got no balls or whatever you want to say, which I heard all sorts of people saying, but it actually ended up being the right decision. So easy to second guess, but it ended up actually being the right decision there. Um, because they had to get the field goal. They had to get a touchdown on that last drive, and without that field goal, they don't need it. Uh, all right, and finally, Kurt, real quick here, we're going to give out a game ball. I'm going to give you a couple of options. I've got some nominees. We've got Jake Fromm, 20-26 for 187 yards, one touchdown. DeAndre Swift, 98 really tough yards, one touchdown. Lawrence Cager, five catches, 82 yards, a touchdown. J.R. Reed, seven tackles, three pass deflections, one pick. And Rodrigo Blankenship, three field goals. Who are you giving your game ball to? Probably to go with Rodrigo. Just so critical, man. I mean, you can give to any of these guys. I mean, DeAndre, we saw a different side of DeAndre Swift. This is a guy that previously, you know, he's got the big play capability, but he was just was a tough physical runner. Showed us what he can be. Another side of him, just a great leader, great tough performance by him. Jake Fromm, we talked about that. Cager talked about him. JRE was unbelievable. Does not get talked about enough, but I'm with you. Uh, Rodrigo, well, you know what? I'm going to go with Jake Fromm on this one. Now it's because I'm president of Jake Fromm fan club. I have to do it. It's in my contract. But it's hard to argue with any of those guys, and Rodrigo certainly deserving as well. But um, I do also want to throw out an honorable mention, Devad Wilson. I think this is by far his best game as a Georgia Bulldog. I know it's been a short career to this point on the field. What game five for him, the first action really saw was against that he actually did see was against Texas last year in the Sugar Bowl. And uh, you and I were really high on him coming this season, Curtis. We talked about how we thought he would be the guy that would win that star position battle. Mark Webb won it, but Devon Wilson's playing a lot. He actually, from what I could tell, it looked like he started the game at the star position. Webb played a lot, but uh, Wilson's on the field a lot, even in those dime packages. He's playing that money position, and he he obviously had the one interception, kind of the bobbling interception. But it wasn't just that. He was he was a really good tackler in space. He was there making some plays in the ball, uh, deflected a couple passes. Thought he played really. really really well and as a young redshirt freshman showed how bright his future is going to be down the road but all right guys that does it for us here today on the glory uga podcast again appreciate all of your patience i'm sorry we did not get this show out to you on sunday that was our intention but uh physically just couldn't do it. my voice would not work with me was able to make it a go of it today so again appreciate you guys listening thank you for your patience We'll have you guys cover the rest of the week. I know it is a bye week, so we won't have a game preview show this week because there just quite simply is no game to preview. But we will be running our mailbag episode that we do each and every week during the season. So you can send any and all questions you have into us. You can hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us questions at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And we will do our absolute best as we do each and every week to get to each and every question that you guys send our way. And we will also wrap the week up with our week five picks of the week. We will have another guest host on that episode with me and Charlie. So thanks again, guys. We always appreciate it. I know this one wasn't necessarily pretty, but I think at the end of this season, when Notre Dame ends up 11-1 or 10-2, that a lot of us will feel a lot better about this win. So let's enjoy it. Let's go into the bye week. Enjoy your off week. And then we'll be back uh, picking it up with Tennessee here in a couple of weeks. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.